Welcome to BNS About Movies, the podcast. I had a podcast before, but uh, I haven't done it in a while, so I decided to bring it back. I've really been interested in the podcast called Bizarre Albums, and it's about 15 minutes about an album or about a song, and it's just enough to give you, get you excited about it and hopefully have you track it down yourself, and that's kind of what I want to do with this show. I want to kind of find some movies that I'm really obsessed about. Maybe some that I've written before on the site. You can find the site at www.b and s about movies. It's like bands about movies, but it's bns about movies. Uh, and uh, I'm kind of taking a lot of the posts that are on the site and going a little deeper into them. Maybe you'll hear a little more of the emotion in my voice versus what I've written. So I uh, figured I'm going to start with the first movie that was ever on our site, which is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band from 1978. Often one goes into a movie that someone considers a bad movie uh, and says, how did this get made? I mean, there's a whole podcast that says that. Worse, sometimes you have to ask yourself, who is this for? Another movie that reminds me of that is 1972's The Pink Angels, a movie that is about a homosexual biker gang that has enough to offend homosexuals or gay people or whatever you'd like to say, LGBTQ plus questioning folks, with uh, its stereotypes. And also probably offend most biker gangs at the time, and probably even today, uh, who don't want to admit that they have gay members. Uh, really, it probably offends everyone because it's a horrible movie. The best thing I can say for it is that its trailer is great. Uh, and it has some really funny lines in the trailer. The actual movie can in no way live up to that trailer. But sometimes bad movies seem like great ideas and seem like they have big audiences. And 1978, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is one of those. I mean, for example, it starred the Bee Gees. And the Brothers Gibb had just come off Saturday Night Fever a year before. And that's a movie that transcended the screen and spawned a movement. Uh, disco was big already. Disco got even bigger. Everybody owned that record. Barry Gibb was also producing Grease's title song. The year after this, he'd also arranged Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers' Islands in the Stream. The boys from Manchester via the Island Man were literally on the top of the world. But often, as we can see, the fall from the top of the world is as high as it gets. Peter Frampton, who's also in this movie, had followed up a journeyman career playing in bands and being seen as a viable solo artist to finally scoring big with Frampton Comes Alive in 1976. This is an album that spent 97 weeks on the charts. It sold 8 million copies, a number that we'll probably never see outside of a Taylor Swift sell today. That number today would equal 13% of all records sold this year would have to be from this artist. Uh, I've often heard comedians say that this, was, this record was issued to you when you moved into the suburbs. Frampton Comes Alive was everywhere. Everyone listened to it. It was a live record that ended up being his biggest record, which is very rare. They would be our fab four in this movie and our star power, at least on vinyl. I mean, the Bee Gees had already covered the Beatles for a BBC doc in 76. And it's funny because there were years of critical derision that said that they were simply clones of the boys from Liverpool. I don't see that, but my experience with the Bee Gees comes post-Saturday Night Fever. And obviously being disco, none of those songs feel like it. So the stars are all aligned. We have literally our stars. Even better, Saturday Night Fever and Grease came out on Robert Stigwood's RSO label. Stigwood purchased 29 of the Beatles' best songs for use in a Broadway play and then had the brainstorm to create this film using the big movie stars. To make it even better and maybe sell it even more to Beatles fans, he got producer George Martin and Abbey Road Studios on board where everything would be recorded, the same place that the Beatles recorded. 
He worked with Paramount, the same studio that launched Saturday Night Fever, to get the movie greenlit. In fact, some of the people in the movie believe that Paul, Car- Paul McCartney would be involved with this film. He isn't. He wasn't. <laughs> You'll find out more in a second. Up until now, until that final shot of the film is taken. This all makes sense, doesn't it? And that's when reality rears its ugly head. And we realize what an epic failure this film was. Writer Henry Edwards had never written a script before. And that kind of shows. And where albums like Pet Sounds and Sgt. Pepper's are albums that really moved us and changed the world. One thing that you may not know is that, or you may if you've listened to it, is that they don't have a unified story. This isn't like the Who's Tommy that is a concept album that tells a story throughout, or maybe Queensryche's Operation Mindcrime. It's a dip in quality from the first three I mentioned. I love it, but I can admit, you know. Anyway, to get this tale across, there would need to be some connective tissue and someone needed to talk. So for the kids out there, the kids of 78, 79, who do we get? We get George Burns, uh, who plays Mr. Kite. He of the song For the Benefit Of. And uh, every bit of dialogue is sung other than just about what George Burns says. Meanwhile, we have the Bee Gees playing Mark, David, and Bob Henderson. Why those names? I mean, don't ask. Billy Shears, however, is played by Peter Frampton. If you know enough about the Beatles and you've discussed it enough, you know that Paul is dead and Billy Shears is the person that replaced him. Also, Billy Shears comes and sings in one of the songs. Uh, I get high with a little help from my friends. At some point, we have to sit back and think, did the Bee Gees ever act? No. Did Peter Frampton ever act? No. They're suddenly put into the lead of this. Who do you get to direct? Well, Michael Schultz. He's the director of Car Wash, later Disorderlies, and The Last Dragon. All great movies, but perhaps not the right person for this film. One of the things that I've thought about this movie is even the soundtrack is weird. Uh, I wrote a long time ago, and it makes me laugh even today, that each song replaces the beloved guitar, bass, and sitar of the Beatles with a synthesizer that only seems to play human farts. Every song that you hear in this movie will be personified by someone else. So if you love Maxwell Silver Hammer, well, Steve Martin is going to be Maxwell, and he's going to be a dentist years before Little Shop of Horrors and the height of his stand-up fame. But even Steve Martin, the most popular stand-up in the world, is rendered as someone you hate in this movie. Donald Pleasance, one of my favorite actors, as well as an actor that could never say no, is a music exec. Donald Pleasance should never sing in a movie, yet he does. Alice Cooper was literally in an insane asylum where he was writing Welcome to My Nightmare and getting off drugs and alcohol. Post that, day out of the asylum, he would start filming Monster Dog with Claudia Fergasso. So if you're going to get out of rehab, go right to working with Claudia Fergasso, I always say. He plays the Sun King. Aerosmith is the evil future villain band. You have to be evil if that's your name. And what's funny is the Bee Gees were supposed to defeat Aerosmith in unarmed combat in this film, leading Joe Perry to walk off the set and cooler heads prevailed uh, joe perry's actually killed by strawberry fields the female love interest in this film so i don't know what that says that joe perry would rather be killed by a girl than the Bee Gees, but i'm sure uh that was the compromise obviously the Bee Gees and peter frampton make rex reed and meyer breckenridge and mariah carey and glitter look like mercury theater cast members they mostly just look really thin and emaciated as if they were denied trips to craft service until they finally got it right on this take well, by the merciful end of this movie, there's a Dusix Machina, the machine of God coming down from the wings, and Billy Preston, perhaps the fifth member of the Beatles, shows up to play a magical horn that saves the day after Barry destroys Golden Slumbers. 
at this point, you're probably going to hate England, Liverpool, poofy chest hair, poofy hair, motion pictures, actors, actresses, maybe even the DVD or streaming player you're watching this on. If your movie, if this movie is your introduction to the Beatles, you will hate them. You'll hate popular music and maybe all music, come to think of it. But wait, there's more. The last scene of this movie literally builds the album cover of Sgt. Pepper. There was a big thing in the late 70s with movies like Sexet and Wonton Ton, The Dog That Saved Hollywood, where they would bring back stars from the past and just give them small roles. Uh, instead of Buddha and Aleister Crowley showing up as it on the actual cover of Sgt. Pepper, the most famous stars of the late 70s were invited, offered free travel, and the most elite of accommodations. Well, who showed up? Some big stars like Carol Channing, Keith Carradine, Nils Lofgren, legendary fifth Beatle, if we don't count P Billy Preston, Cousin Brucie, Shana Na, who for some reason played Woodstock, pre-Thunderdome Tina Turner, Joe Simon, the guy who co-created Captain America with Jack Kirby is, is in this scene, Bocephus, Wolfman Jack. Obviously, the stars were not shining that brightly that day on the Culver City backlot of MGM. So the reviews and the box office for this film were not kind. You could find this album in cutout bins for years. They overordered it thinking it was going to be Saturday Night Fever. It wasn't. I first saw it at 3 in the morning on a Saturday night. And around 1980, it aired on PGH TV, I believe. Uh, and uh, it aired after a chiller, a chiller theater that had showed uh, King Kong versus uh, King Kong Escapes. So imagine, here's how this happened. My grandfather and my father were working on the furnace in his house, and we just got to stay up all night while they worked because they worked late into the night until they were done because there was no heat in the house. So we were all bundled up while they worked and yelled and screamed and swore, just like a Christmas story. And I got to watch movies all night. I got to watch King Kong Escapes the whole way through on Chiller Theater. And then I got to watch Sgt. Pepper, a little bit of heaven and hell. But I figured this movie would age a little better. It has not aged at all. Uh, it has it has aged, I should say. It has aged like a cake out in the rain in MacArthur Park for 30 years. Uh, and the, it's just horrible. It's so bad that Marvel Comics was going to do one of their adaptions, like one of those big treasury editions. And George Perez was going to draw it. They canceled it. Marvel rarely canceled their movie tie-ins. But I still think you should watch this movie. It's, uh, it's really something. It's And by something, I mean painful. It is just, it's wild that it even exists. And it is very much a, a thing of its time, a movie of its time and its era. It takes songs from Sgt. Pepper's and Abbey Road, which were about 10 years old at that time, and they don't really feel that old, right? But this movie really makes them horrible. The, what is the one good thing? We should celebrate something good in the movie. Earth, Wind & Fire's cover of Gotta Get You Into My Life is awesome. Uh, Aerosmith's Come Together is really great, and these would be songs that they would do forever. Uh, if you want to hear the Bee Gees do songs, I would recommend the 76 movie All This and World War II that I brought up that was for BBC. They did Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight for that. She came in through the bedroom, bathroom window and Sun King on, on that. And that's kind of how the Bee Gees uh, kind of got into that. So uh, Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees announced that kids today don't really know the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper. When those do see our film and hear us doing it, that will be the re re version that they relate to and remember. Unfortunately, the Beatles are going to be secondary. You see, there's no such thing as the Beatles. They don't exist as a band and never perform Sgt. Pepper live in any case. When ours comes out, it will, in fact, be as if theirs never existed. When you hear the Beatles do Long Tall Sally or Roll Over Beethoven, 
Did you really care about Little Richards or Chuck Berry's version? This really seemed to be the kind of hubris that dooms a movie. Uh, and perhaps that that is what happened. Anyways, uh, if you want to check this out, obviously it's streaming. It's on video. There's a lot of places that you can find it. Uh, but do you want to find it? I would say you do not want to find it. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have suggestions for movies to feature, send me an email at bandsaboutmovies at gmail.com. Check out the site at bnsaboutmovies.com. And while you're there, you can find out all about live streams that we do, uh, what movies are being featured this week, and uh, all sorts of fun. Thanks, and hey, watch a movie.